We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh, my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Scared money don't make money, you know? Greetings, Gator fans. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Alan Williams. I'm here with James DiVirgilio. What's up, everybody? Good to be back with you after the orange and blue debut, the spring game, whatever it is we're calling it these days. James, it's a lovely spring here in Gainesville. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's, it's always a great day, Alan, when I'm sitting here looking at you in the studio talking about football. Things just, even when things aren't great, they're still great. It's still good. Yeah, so we're going to talk all about the spring game, give our thoughts, we're going to have an interesting little NIL discussion with the head of Florida Victorious, the new fangled Gator collective out there at the end of the show. And yeah, just whatever else comes up, as always, we'll, we'll try to make it fun and interesting for you guys. And if you like this content, follow us on social media, sub to our YouTube channel, where yours truly brings you film breakdowns and become a patron on Patreon, where you can give a dono to support our efforts to bring you more of this type of content. As always, shout out to our help, B-Red and Carly the Commissioner, our video editor, B-Red, our producer. Yeah. Uh, B-Red's on an extended vacation here as he does not help with the off-season episodes because we have enough time for those, but he saves all of his energy for the in-season That's episodes, good. We which need is him. important. Uh, the the monthly, I guess now, through a monthly podcast, shout out to the GNFB Sammy and GNFB Java Discord. It's the off-season, but those guys and girls are still... Going strong. And a couple of special shout-outs here. We had some last episode. We'll do it again on this one. Uh, to Eric, who I saw at Gainesville Health and Fitness Center. And I've seen multiple listeners at the GHFC here in Gainesville. But he was telling me that his son listens. He listens. He tells all of his friends. Thank you, Eric, for that support. Uh, it's it's just a meaningful to us and, and really invaluable. We love hearing those stories. And then a great story here. Uh, one of my friends, Dr. Birchfield, told me this one. He had not listened to our podcast really before, but he was down in St. Petersburg. He's walking on the beach, and uh, he has a guy walk up to him because he has a gator shirt on and basically say, hey, uh, you love the gators, love the gators. They start talking football, and, and this guy tells him that he needs to listen to the Gator Nation football podcast. It's really important. It's like one of his favorite things to do. 
this particular guy named Chaplain Rob. Yeah, shout out to you, Chaplain Rob. Huge you're shout at. out to you, Chaplain Rob. Actually goes home, finds Dr. Birchfield online, finds him on LinkedIn, sends him a message with a link to the podcast and says, hey, check, check this out. So that's next level listenership, Rob. And we appreciate that down there in St. Pete. We thank you for that. And uh, Dr. Birchfield listened and enjoyed it. So that's a win for you and a win for us. And, and thank you. That's meaningful to us. All right, Alan, we did not have any new donos. Wow. Maybe I didn't say the word dono enough this past month, or perhaps <laughs> you guys were full and busy with Easter and plenty of other good things, but we still have James Ridge on the throne. That has not changed. The consistency that is James Ridge remains. His, his reign has gone on long and strong here, and uh, another month under his tutelage. So thank you, King James. We appreciate that. All right, let's uh, name off those other dono legends here. Of course, the illustrious Barry Jenkins, Guy Tumbleson, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Jason Walker, The Big Homie, Lil Payton, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi, Bobby Boucher, Frank Marsalisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, James Truitt, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Jamie Galliano, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Rumery, and Craig Scarado. There you go. Thanks to each and every one of you guys. Okay, so the orange and blue game happened. There was a decent amount of you and the rest of Gator Nation there at the game. It was a lovely Thursday evening in Gainesville. Nice and cool, breezy, beautiful evening in the swamp. That might have been the best part of the evening, though. Uh, we had a great time just being in the stadium. Maybe the, the stuff on the field potentially left a little to be desired. But it was really nice out there. Yeah, the weather was amazing. And shout out to the students who came yeah. out in droves. Yeah. I, I don't know that I recall in the recent era so many students being at a spring game. They really showed out. And on TV, it looked great. I mean, they had that whole kind of bottom of the student section full. So that was a, that was a nice look. So congrats to them. And, and to your point, Alan, it was a perfect weather night in the stadium. I mean, you really could not have asked for more. And thankfully it was that way. I think yeah. if it was 90 degrees outside, there would have been a lot of extra frustration. So with that being said, did you enjoy, you and I sat together, but did you enjoy being at this game just for the football part of it? Take away the stuff we mentioned. Was it an enjoyable experience for you? Uh, not totally. I don't, I don't know that I would have stuck it out to the end. I, I'm sure I wouldn't have stuck it out to the end. Had we not been there in a professional capacity, but you know, I would still fun sitting next to you being outside. I mean, that that was great. Uh, the game itself, I feels like they needed some tweaks, you know. We noticed in the first class, first half there was not a running clock very consistently for some reason. And a uh, little halftime awards ceremony, which they've done the last two years. Great for the team. Incredibly boring to be there in front of. So uh, maybe they could spruce that up. I, You know, it's a spring game, so it's, it's nothing – too exciting the ceiling is pretty low on it but it <laughs> uh for a spring game it was especially i'll use the word laconic i like that that's a strong word i'd said to you in the third quarter of the game that it would be wise if someone in the program thought more about entertainment for events like that now i'm the king of like sporting events that mean something the sporting event carries the day. I don't need to have sideshows right. and little gimmicks, but this is something where you should have sideshows. The only reason gimmicks. you're doing it is to like engage with the people who watch and participate in your like 
you know, program. I mean, certainly it's a good thing for the players. They're going to enjoy it. Um, but yeah, that, uh, I don't think there was a lot of thought into like the fan experience, which again, I got an NBA game. I don't want actually all of the interstitial stuff. I don't need music going constantly. I'm there for the event itself. There's it's, it's good if there's some fun things, but yeah, maybe just even, it's funny to be on the other side of that and being like, huh, do they know we were all here when they were doing that award ceremony? It's kind of funny. Yeah. The reality is exhibition games require fun fan things and getting them involved and doing things that are entertaining because the game itself is an exhibition. It's generally not going to be entertaining by default at a level that matches a real football game with stuff on the line. So I think they could reconsider how they're doing that to build a better buzz for the fans. And I know a lot of you were upset. I got a lot of messages about it, that the game was on on Saturday, not as family friendly. It's it, you list, you lose a lot on a chance to go to the swamp. So I think Billy right now is hyper-focused on his program internally, and that's a good thing a lot of times. You right. want to get the foundation built. You want to do this correctly. But I do think they could spend some more time externally. Uh, how do we make this great for the fans? How do we make sure that our families are accommodated for? And in reality, are we going to pull in more recruits because our practice game is on SEC Network? I got to tell you, no. It doesn't matter. You could televise that junk on primetime, whatever. I don't think a 14-year-old is making his decision based upon a practice game televised on SEC Network, ESPN, CBS, NBC, whatever. So perhaps think of the spring game what it used to be for. It's an exhibition for your fans to love the program, to spend one more day in the swamp and not a promotional opportunity. That's just me. But all in all, the game itself, obviously, Alan, offensively sucked. That's the best word to say it. It was a letdown. It wasn't entertaining even remotely at all. You're whiffing on that entirely. You played a full game with the clock stopping, which was outrageous and unnecessary. Uh, And it just just drug on forever. It was not exciting, not entertaining. It just carried on. And I think Billy doesn't care because I think that was what he wanted to do. For him, it was for his team. But I think that's the disconnect. If you want to do that, do that behind closed doors in the bubble by yourself. You want to involve the fans. You have to find ways. That's my criticism here. You have to find ways to make this a fun event for them and realize that this is not. Don't let that day be your culminating end of your spring practice day for your team because you're kind of missing the boat of why you have this in the swamp. But all in all... We're not here to talk about the entertainment value. That's well, just an aside. Let me just say that. I mean, because obviously we spent a few minutes talking about it here. If the program wins, I don't care about the entertainment value of the spring game, right? If Billy's focused on that and we lose games, but hey, the spring game is great. Like no one wants that, right? But if you're going to do it, here's our thoughts on how to do it. So take it or leave it. But Ultimately, if he really feels like this was the best way to go, again, not like halftime stuff or whatever. I don't know. Maybe everything. If that, if he thinks that's going to help him win football games, then you know what? I'm all for it. Uh, all right. This is kind of funny because traditionally in a spring game, it, it, it's a showcase for the offense, right? You want it to be like, hey, we're going to – it's going to be exciting. We're going to score a lot of points. This is interesting. Let me ask you this question. Do you think this game was supposed to be set up to show off the offense or the defense? I don't think either. And this is where I'm going to give Billy credit. I do think that he was very true to his mission of having two separate teams competing versus each other in a game that was fair, that he said had that last field goal been missed would have gone to overtime. They had a gentleman's bet on it where one team was going to eat different foods on it. And I think he faithfully upheld that. 
And I think that's why you saw the defense is playing a million times harder than you'll see in spring games. Where generally speaking, Alan, we know this for a fact, coaches have often told their defenses in spring games, hey, here's the reality. Like, kind of, we want the We're going to put our thumb on the scale here. And you're going to kind of just run these vanilla coverages and you're not going to really go full bore and the offense is going to look awesome. And that's a lot of times what happens. That's not Billy's philosophy here. I agree with that philosophy entirely when it comes to creating a culture for your team that you want letting the offense know the defense is just as important as you are. I'm down with all of that. That being said, I don't think Billy expected the defense to dominate to the level they did. He said as much at the end. Uh, But no, I think it's safe to say that this was not set up to showcase anyone in particular. It was just going to be a game that got sideways for both offenses. Yeah, this is interesting because, like we said, normally you you would think offensively we're going to like you know, put our thumb on the scale, whatever you want to say, it shade towards that. Didn't seem like they did it. And it seemed like the guys were actually competing because when they kicked that field goal, that half of the team celebrated. They wanted that. They're like, yeah, stakes. So I love that. I love the competition, right? If you're a competitor, you put anything on the line, even, you know, steak dinner, it's not the most meaningful thing in the world, but hey, we want to win. And that actually, you know, shown through and that was evident that those guys wanted to win and that that was meaningful to both sides and they were playing hard. The interesting thing about this is kind of Miller, Jack Miller quarterback for, I guess the B side said that they were, the offense was essentially running a day one install like that. They weren't doing anything complicated. They were just running their normal stuff. Like, what do you take from that? Like why assuming that's true, why do you think that is? I can say this. It's not day one. Why are you running day one install in a scrimmage game if it's not day one? I mean, I can think of a few things. One, it, it, I don't think you're, you know, maybe the, there's the other side where normally you want to showcase the offense. We said, obviously, he wasn't doing that. Is he trying to let us in on the fact that the defense is going to be better? Well, if so, that those were the optics, at least whether the defense is good or the offense is bad, you can pick your narrative from that. Or that this is in the Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, I will show you absolutely nothing that I don't have to show you. I will reveal nothing ever at any point. This game is on TV. You're going to see all the plays you saw last year. And, okay, if so, what's the point? Also a good question. I, I have to believe that's not how Billy operates, given what we've seen on film. I saw plenty of plays in the spring game that I've seen a hundred times on film already. They right. were there. Those are feature plays of this offense. I know, if, but so none of the new stuff, you're only going to see the old stuff because I don't want to tell you about the new stuff. If there is new stuff, a lot of coaches don't have new stuff. You get a playbook, you stick with your stuff. That's okay. pretty typical. We don't know, but I think the point is, to me, that's convenient. It's I can't imagine any coach me included, getting to day 19 of spring ball and running what I did on day one in a game in front of 42,000 people on a televised audience. Like, why? There's not a good answer to that question. You would run what you, you what, what's the point? Practice is to get better, improve, and progress, Alan. You want to run on day 19, which you're capable of running on day 19. That's the whole point. So I thought that's a curious comment. Perhaps it's to deflect. I think I think some realities when we unpack what happened here on film are perhaps going to better explain what went down. But how often, I'm going to say this, how often have we heard coaches, players, and et cetera, use that terminology when things go south? Sure. 
when maybe there's an issue. But most importantly, and this is probably the right time to say this, let it be known that both Alan and I heavily agree that spring games do not correlate to fall performance yeah. at all. What does correlate is talent and good coaching, good scheme, et cetera. But the spring game, there is no correlation to the score of your spring game and how good your offense is going to be or how good your defense is going to be or how good an individual player is going to be. It's not the same thing as a real game. So let that be said, we're going to look at this. We're going to give it its due diligence. We did it last year too, but make no mistake about it. We're doing analysis for the sake of analysis here, but this does not carry really a whole lot of weight with me at all. Aside from the points I'm going to make about things that we have seen before in real film studies that I don't think works still on display, that's something to talk about. But outside of that, this is a scrimmage game. They practice against each other almost every single day. Three times a week, they have some sort of simulated scrimmage game that we don't know the results of. This is just one data point from a spring sure. scenario. So don't, don't, if you freaked out and thought the sky's falling, we're dead, that's not the right reaction to any spring game in general. Very much so. That's a good caveat and that's a good contextualization there. I think this is a data point. This is a fun thing to talk about, but putting too much weight on it would be a mistake either way. Like you're really high on it or you're really low on it. I think that's probably going outside the bounds of what you can take away from this. So let's talk about the offense a little bit, because I think that's the thing, rightly or wrongly, that most people are interested in seeing, uh, even though the offense was relatively more successful than the defense last year. But new quarterback, some new participants along the offensive line and the receivers. So I guess we can give out some stats. Uh, The orange team at 307 yards, the blue team at 198 um, this, this was interesting to note here that the offensive lines for the two teams were not their best, right? There were several guys missing. Um, Kingsley was not playing. A few other guys are not playing. There's a lot of guys who have never played before at all. Um, fr- poor freshman, true freshman Rod Kearney, who I don't know if played center in high school, uh, was not snapping the ball well. That ended a lot of plays and a lot of drives. Um, so the offensive line, I think, was probably the Achilles heel, even though that, I don't think it's going to be potentially that, you know, if everyone's healthy and in, in their right spots. But that definitely didn't make for a great showing. No, it did not. And we should start right there with the O-line. That, that's rule number one in successful football is to have time in the pocket if you're going to want to pass. And Florida tried to run the ball quite a few times, too, against Florida, and they couldn't do that very well um, in general, right? Neither team had a lot of rushing yards. Orange, which, by the way, we should say, Alan, if it's the orange and blue game, why was the orange team wearing white? That's a question I'd like to answer, too. Uh, <laughs> but orange, the orange-slash-white team had 54 yards rushing. The blue team had 48 yards rushing. So not a lot there, although some individuals, the running backs in general, were actually excellent on the day, and the starting running backs averaged a 5.4 yards per carry. So they did really well. So it tells you a lot about what these games look like, why it's tricky to evaluate them. But the O-line was, I don't want to say a disappointment because you only had two starters playing in this game. Like you said, you had so many freshmen playing that never see the field, generally speaking, in real football games that matter. And you can see why. And there were mistakes all over the place. And, you know, really, Alan, the defense was not taking it easy on them. No. At all. I mean, we've I saw more action on the front seven of Florida than I have seen in years with them, whether it comes to switching gaps, stunting, twisting, um, 
when it came to to simulated pressures, double A gap pressures. I mean, there was a lot of stuff being thrown. And that's, you know, if you're a freshman offensive lineman and you come out of high school last year, you have these big, strong, fast dudes who are now just like not coming in the same gap you're used to them coming through. And you've got simulated pressures, which you've probably never seen before. And you've got nickel blitzes and corner blitzes. I mean, you've got a lot of stuff going on you're not ready for. And that showed all it was taking was one guy to break through each play and it ruins the play. The quarterbacks have to be touched, not tackled. That changes things too. So you know, the O-line gave up eight sacks combined. It made it really hard for either quarterback to stay in the pocket to do anything successfully for plays to develop. That was the story, I think, of the offense's struggle for the most part. The quarterbacks got maligned as the quarterback play was terrible, and we'll talk more about that. But I think it starts first and foremost with the O-line play was was really poor, and it was going to be very hard for anyone to do well back there. And my assumption from this point is that the offense, to be successful, is going to be running the ball a lot and so you're just not going to do that in a spring game. Even if you're having success running the ball, you're not going to line it up and run it down people's throats. That's not what people want to see. That's not what you want to do as a play caller. So they're they're playing with one arm tied by their back, offensive line, and maybe the other arm tied behind their back with that they're not going to play to their strengths. Uh, but when they did try to pass, it did not look great. Uh, and our vantage point in the stadium you know, the quarterbacks didn't look great, but I don't know that they had the best opportunity to look great. On TV, it's hard to see. We've talked a lot about Florida utilizing these two-man route concepts, which they ran a lot of uh, that Thursday night. And it was very easy to see both routes being double-covered on a lot of those dropbacks. So if you have a, a leaky O-line, both your routes double-covered, and an A-gap blitz like you're not going to look, there's really nothing you can do as a quarterback on those plays. So even the best quarterback in the world put into those situations is just what else is he going to do? All right. Now, having said all that, what is your opinion of, let's start with Mertz of, of what you thought about him and his performance. Yeah. I thought that he, he performed right to the level the film said he would perform at. You okay. saw a few errant throws. You saw a veteran experienced quarterback who was dealing with receivers that were not open was dealing with a pocket that was collapsing on him and then you saw a veteran experienced quarterback that still does things that good like really plus veteran experienced quarterbacks do not do which is when he did have a clean pocket leave the pocket early to the right to escape himself into trouble um, not waiting for a full read segment to make a throw when he could have had a play and then you know some other issues there but he he displays all the things his best play in the entire game was the pass he threw to I believe Douglas where Douglas fumbled. He went right. he went he went through his full progression. One, two, three, threw a ball right in the face mask, led him into space, you know, 30 yard gain fumble. That was high level quarterbacking. And then other plays you watch him, it's like a freshman. But I'm not gonna hang a lot on Mertz in this. I think that the media and social media reaction was wrong on him in general. If you go back and roll the film, almost no one is open on any given time at all during the game. Right. Not happening. Secondarily, we've talked about this last year. I spent an entire segment on it. Florida has no quick game that's that's visible to see. And either, you know, Coach Armstrong, who we're going to call, of course, Ham. Coach Ham. Uh, Ham, of course, went Ham. And either he knows this, and maybe he's trying to make a point to his colleague, Billy Napier, that you have a, you have a serious weakness in your offense when I can blitz you on almost every freaking play, a nickel, a corner, double leg gap, a linebacker, and you have no answer ever. You can't ever throw behind the blitz. It doesn't happen one time. And the time he tried, Florida's ready for it, jumping a slant. And the second time when they had it, 
They coach, they coach the corner well enough to run into the window for the throw. So it's like we've never seen it before. We don't know what to do. And again, it's a spring game, but that's not on the quarterback. I mean, that's not, that's not on him. That's on play design. We've talked about this before. So I think Mertz was what he what we thought he was. You and I said this, Alan. I took away from it. He's a guy that you can win games with. If your defense is really good and your offense can be solid enough and you can run the football, he can win you games. He's not like we said on the film breakdown, going to be the guy that wins you the SEC or is going to turn into Joe Burrow or something like that. But he can do all the things you'd want him to do. But his game has flaws and deficiencies that were that were on display. But this particular game, this particular result was not a bad result for him at quarterback. There just wasn't a lot there for either quarterback to do, him included. And his stat line turned out to be pretty good given that. 18 to 29 for 244 and a touchdown. That was helped a little bit with some generous, uh, you know, penalty calling at the end of the first half to get him that drive. But all in all, it was fine. I mean, nothing surprised me. And that's kind of what you're hoping for is that you don't get a really negative surprise. Like, oh, my gosh, this guy can't do anything. And that didn't happen. I think he's right in line with what we thought. Right. So if he came out and looked closer to Jack Miller throwing the ball, then all of a sudden you're like, whoa. So Miller is definitely the less polished, less accurate of the two, the less understanding, I think, of what he's supposed to be doing back there. Now, he is, however, the much more athletic one. When he turns the corner and gets going, he's, to use the catchphrase, surprisingly athletic. But that guy can move. He looks good running around out there. That's about it, though. Um, he can make some of the throws, but he, if right now, if we were going into the fall with him as the quarterback, I'd be like, we are absolutely screwed. I don't feel that way with Mertz. Mertz is not, again, he's not the the chosen one who will deliver us, who will take you and raise the level of everyone's game and is going to take you to a championship. But I don't think he's going to be the reason you lose games either, uh, for the most part. Maybe that's true against top, top-level competition, but he, I think at least of what I've seen from him so far, you can win with him. Miller, I don't think so. So seeing that from Mertz in person – I think confirmed, like you said, what we're thinking of him is another data point in that direction. Yeah, I agree. And again, this don't nothing should be extrapolated significantly out of this game. You know, Miller was better than he was in last year's spring game. He understands the offense more, but there's nothing in there that indicates he's a starter at the SEC level. And there's nothing in there so far from Mertz that indicates he's not at best an average starter at the SEC level, despite the fact that he does some things at a, at a very above average level if you're still doing the things that make you a, a high variance player and you don't have ARs upside, then you're an, you're an average. That's kind of what your ceiling means. That's how we're seeing it. We're going to evaluate the real games and that'll tell us pretty quickly. Uh, but that's kind of what I think the take was on the quarterback. So if you're really freaking out that the quarterback play was way worse than you thought, I would say actually based upon film was pretty much right in line. And there's a lot of good reasons why that struggled. My bigger offensive takeaway, Alan, yet again, is the offensive play design from a passing standpoint i don't care if it's day one install is woeful and no one can tell me otherwise we just keep getting data points that these routes don't make sense i'm just they do not make sense i'm going to revisit something we talked about way long ago in case you missed it that it certainly seems like napier's offense is a swiss army knife where you have like lots of different things you can utilize in your play and they're all there and I much prefer a laser-focused, specific, tactical attack-based offense where you use your pre-snap to figure out what the defense is in and you apply the absolute highest probability, highest EV play call and play design to beat that defense 
Whereas Napier's is sort of like, hey, look, we can do 10 things here. This play works against everything. But that by default generally doesn't get you wide open guys. It generally makes the throws a lot harder. And Florida's defense, they might as well have been reading reading the mail against other Florida's offense. I mean, they were all over half the stuff that was going on. There was just nowhere to go. Credit to them, as Napier said. But also, I you know, at some point, Alan, we've got to start to see some play designs where guys are wide open and throws are easy. Or you just can't keep asking your quarterback to make heroic throw after heroic throw after heroic throw. Even NFL quarterbacks have 10, 12 throws a game, Alan. A game that are relatively simple. And we're at Florida asking our guys to throw 15 to 25 throws a game that are extremely hard all the time. So I'd like to see that change. Again, it's a spring game, but that's not encouraging when you see some of the same looks you've seen before. You see third down and nine runs in a spring game where you gain a yard against a front that makes no sense. You see all hitches that are being blanketed, double covered. You see, did you see two man routes double covered? where you get, you know, two on two, I mean, two on one, two on one with pressure. And you're like, I mean, that's, what are we doing? You know, so that part we're going to carry on as our storyline. That's my storyline for the offense. Then outside of everything, I still carry my concerns I have with our offensive play designs when it comes to the passing game. I think our run game designs are excellent. I'm still there and I'm going to have to see some data that moves me off of that before I begin to believe we've turned a corner in the passing game. I'm glad you included that because yeah, we're, doesn't mean it won't change. Just nothing showed us in this game that it had changed. One of the narratives coming out of the game was Florida's looking for a new quarterback. So Billy answered this question in a way I think that moved that narrative along. Is like, are you looking for more quarterback help in the portal? And he said, yes, we're looking to add somebody. Now, I don't know if Billy would say I'm looking for our starter, although I don't think he would be, you know, he would take somebody if that person appeared. Uh, I think that if I'm reading his intentions, looking at our roster and what might be out there, that we have three guys in the room. And if Mertz goes down, the drop off is enormous, right? You're hoping Jack Miller would be Graham Mertz, essentially, like last year when you took him. Like the, he would move into a, yeah, you, you can win with the guy, but he's beneath that. He's sub replacement level, I would say. Um, and Max Brown is way, way, way far away. He was a major project we took him. He's not a lot closer. He's playing baseball as well. I would not if it turns to Max Brown, like the season is even more cooked. Right. So if there's another guy out there that can come in and I would say beat out Jack Miller, that's probably what you're looking for. Or maybe another developmental guy that you think you can get up to speed pretty quickly. I would be surprised if Florida can go into the portal and pull out a guy that would be better than Graham Mertz. Not that Mertz is great, but it just doesn't seem like that guy's going to be out there. I, I could be wrong. The transfer portal's kooky and crazy. You never know. No one's expecting Jordan Addison to be in the portal late in the game, but I, I'm i just doubtful Florida's going to pull in their day one starter now. I think Mertz is the guy, and I think that Billy chose him to be the guy. He wants him to be the guy. He thinks he's going to be the guy. And as we talked about, that's going to potentially hurt Billy Napier if Mertz is in at least SEC average. That's not going to be great because I think he had choices and he selected he selected Mertz. So only time will tell. But to your point, Alan, it would take a, a miracle is probably the right word to have like a really capable. Again, the goal here is to have an above average SEC starter. Average would be probably what Mertz hopes to be. So to get someone in the portal that you think could trend better than that with just a fall camp, 
that's asking a lot. So LSU did this last year. So it it can happen, but it doesn't seem like that's probably going to be out there for Florida. I would like to be proven wrong on that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's move over and talk about the defense, shall we? This was the unit that was much more maligned, and in my opinion, this is the reason Florida was bad last year, not offensively. Offensively, you know, fits and starts, not perfect, but did enough to win a lot more games than Florida won. Defensively was where the wheels came off often last year. And there's a new coach, uh, Coach Armstrong, a.k.a. AKA Coach Ham. Now, whether that was a result of them knowing everything that the offense is going to run all the time, but this looked like a much dif- different unit, a much better unit. Now, again, I wouldn't want to go too high on this because, as we said, this was a spring game. But if you're looking for encouragement or positive direction, you would look on the defensive side of the ball. Oh, 100%. I mean, as much as we maligned the offense and the frustrations that are there, this was extremely impressive by the defense. And make no mistake about it, this was extremely impressive by the defense. This was not like the offense had a bad day. and They were dictating and controlling this football game at all levels. Every single level, they controlled it. And that's a welcome thing for Florida fans. I thought the MVP of the entire orange and blue game was Coach Ham. He was going ham on the sideline. He's he was full of energy. Nuts. He's, I mean, his, 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 this defense was just different. I mean, it was different. The players were hyped up, but aside from just hype, I mean, you can see it on film, Alan. There was a lot of really good stuff we put on film from pre-snap alignment to gap control to gap fill to how linebackers were scraping and moving to the defensive line, how they were understanding that if they're going to run what we tried to run so often, whether it was a creeper or simulated pressure, they understood that they need to get into a leverage lane. We talked about this a million times last year, how we would run into a lane, chicken with their head cut off, flow past the spot. But I mean, for, for a spring game, we saw, look at what we saw, Alan. Let me list this out. We saw well-timed zone blitzes. We saw a well-timed corner man blitz with a safety coming downhill that almost picked off a slant route. Uh, we saw double double A-gap pressures. Multiple of them were simulated say, pressures. Say what that is. So we have two linebackers shooting the A-gap, which is either side of the center. Mm-hmm. And then we basically took our two defensive ends, which are two linebackers really, but the two guys on the edge line of scrimmage, and they came back into coverage, which is which is really a nice, it's really nice. It basically looks like a max pressure blitz, but it's not 
perfectly absorbing those flat routes Florida likes to throw, uh, funneling them off with the correct leverage, shepherding guys to the right side. We saw that on multiple occasions. We saw several seven-man pressures, Mm -hmm. something Tony would never do. We saw cover zero seven-man pressure. didn't work, but we saw it. I saw the best buzz to curl um, defensive linebacker drop on film that we have seen in several years with a freshman, Jaden Robinson, doing it, where he should have picked the ball off at halftime on Jack Miller. I mean, absolute textbook, a thing of beauty. How many film reviews did we have last year, Alan, where I talked about our linebackers not getting underneath the curl route? They just stop or they push them. I mean, the stuff was on film was just, um, it was amazing. I mean, honestly, it was amazing. Now we'll give Tony some credit for last year's work, but look, everything was different. The struggles we had playing cover three were gone. We played cover three the right way on film 20 times in that game. We did it the right way. All of a sudden guys are locked onto people once the route developed. I mean, it was just a world of difference. And I know we're playing our own team. I know they've seen this in practice a million times. I know they know what's happening so they can play faster. But all of the stuff on film that existed last year was seemingly just gone in this game. And I'm not going to make a mountain out of that, but I want to share my excitement with you because that's how good this was from the defense. And if you're, if you're Armstrong, again, Coach Ham in this case, you could not have had a better showing. This may be the highest he is at Florida for all we know, but man, oh man, does that look like a good hire right now based upon what he did with this defense for both teams, for all players. This was a really, really good effort. Yeah, I think you hit on two of those things, kind of the two halves of it. There was the kind of intensity, aggressiveness of, of how individuals were playing. And then also schematically and formation wise. So it, the defense doesn't look so different as people have noted, right? You don't, it's not a totally different defensive philosophy or, or alignment, but how they played those things, it felt different and looked different and was just way more successful on a baseline level. Again, we've, we've put this caveat on there a bunch of times, but, um, I like it. And it's not like the defense had everybody out there. They, the edge rushers, I think, were almost none of them were playing. We were playing walk-ons out there on the edge. And still the defense was capable of holding its own there. And some of the new guys they added look nice. Cameron Jackson, Banks, the two new defensive tackles are both enormous. They're huge, huge guys. And... They looked awesome. Again, going against like kind of freshman, new offensive linemen, but those guys were devastating out there. If they can translate that into the regular season, that what will have been a the biggest potential weakness could be a strength for this team. Could be. And my favorite thing I say for last is because one of my least favorite things in college football is, is when, when teams run the bunch formation, which I've talked about, three receivers. Think of like a triangle. You've got one guy on top and you've got two guys behind him in a triangle. And you can run this with a tight end and a running back and a receiver with all receivers, with whatever combination you want. Every time Florida's offense ran that, Florida's defense countered with a dude smacking the top guy in the mouth, which I love, and then triangling on their own. So it's like a triangle matching a triangle. I mean, I love it. It's the right way to play that in almost all scenarios. And Florida successfully did it consistently. When last year we almost never did it, I highlighted it quite frequently. Mm-hmm. That's a difference. That is a difference. And to your point, Alan, too much is often made of defensive strategy. We've talked about strategy versus tactics on our, one of our last podcasts. Not enough is made of tactics and details, right? All these teams are largely running the same kind of stuff. Cover two, three, four, you know, six, man, combo, whatever else you want. But they're all, they're all aware. Coaches are aware of these things, but it's the details and the communication to what you can get your players to execute those details that make you very successful as a coach 
then your player's talent will take you as far as it can go. But a lot of that is just the pre-snap alignment, being ready to roll, being in the right formation. And Florida was so fast, no matter what formation the offense rolled out, Florida's defense was so fast to counter with the proper alignment, good spacing, good communication. I mean, it was, it was great. It was great. So I was really pleased with that. I'm looking very forward to seeing what that looks like versus a real opponent, obviously in Utah many months from now. But again, take away from this, that that was a phenomenal debut for a 29 year old DC. I, I, he could not, in my opinion, have debuted better than that. And it's a spring game. It can mean nothing, but it's still a really strong debut from a new DC and a guy that again, say what you want. Nick Saban only tries to hire the best up-and-coming young guys. He's not always going to hit on that. Nobody always hits on the best up-and-coming young guys. We talk about this with quarterbacks or players or coaches, but he's only trying to hire those guys who have that ceiling. And I think some of what Nick Saban saw was on display on that sideline out there with, uh, with you know, Coach Ann. So I think you've illustrated this well here. I just want to double down on it. I think going back to last year with Patrick Tony, the frustration – you know, among some of us was that he couldn't get more out of this unit, right? So if you take, let's say you take just your average guy off the street and put him in a college football uniform and ask him to play, he's going to get run over, right? Now, what you'd have to do to even like, well, they have no chance, but you can teach them all of the uh, best practices, all the best techniques they could know flawlessly what they're supposed to do, but they're going to get run over because they can't cover or you know disengage blocks or anything. Now you could have the best athletes in the world, but if they don't know the the details, if they don't understand what they're supposed to be doing, they're not going to do that either. So a good defensive coordinator can get his team to learn the details and like the functionality, even if there's some places where you're deficient, right? Our corners aren't that good or our defensive tackles are thin. We don't have enough of them. You can be had in certain places. The Florida defense was being had all over the place all the time and functionally should never have been ranked where they're ranked considering the talent that they did have on the field. So I think Armstrong can create a vast improvement if he can get them to play the right way and doing the right things because there's enough talent that the defense shouldn't be abysmal. Doesn't oh, mean they're sure. not going to they're not going to be the best defense in the country, but if you're looking for a narrative of wow, Florida is way better than we thought, it's because the defense becomes dominant, not just like average, right? So if that's your hope, I think that's where you're going to have to like hang your hat that this defense went from uh 90th to 15th, right? Which isn't out of the realm of possibility. I'm not expecting that to happen, but that's the place where you're gonna like if you're gonna go to bed dream at night that this team's gonna be better that's what you would think about yeah and also as a final word on the defense and, and coach ham the the attitude and energy he brings is welcome i think it's safe to say that this this team in some regards it always takes on the personality of your coaches and your head coach and napier is just a very slow calm methodical that's just his demeanor and armstrong is anything but and you want some of your high-profile guys. You need a guy or two like that on your staff. You just need it to bring some of that edge, some of that energy, some of that fire. And I think that kind of stuff's going to benefit Florida on a game day from a, a morale standpoint, from just a, a, a get-up standpoint. Now, that stuff can be fake, but it doesn't seem fake. It feels like that's authentically who who Austin is. And, uh, you know, I expect to see Coach Ham bringing that kind of intensity 
every practice, which you've already heard he does that, and every single game. And that's a benefit. These are college kids. It's a benefit to keep them at that level. I think that's a good antidote to Billy's sort of maybe overly zen-like kind of, you know, demeanor. So special teams. Uh, Trace Mack, you know, highly rated kicker for us, for, for a kicker. Doesn't seem like he's that guy yet. No, definitely not. Struggled 0 for 2, missed the chip shot, did make the 1 at the end. But for a 5-star and number 1 ranked kicker, you expect those guys to have big legs, look impressive. He just hasn't he hasn't been the part, hasn't looked the part yet. Kickers are, are tricky, as we know from Caleb mm-hmm. Sturgis, who's hosted this before. The 5-star kickers become that way, large part based on maybe 1 or 2 kicking camps that are high profile. And they go and they win, and that's it. They're the 5-star. And so it's it's kind of a simple recruiting process, but... I'm sure he's very disappointed with himself and where he's been, but you know, not a not a great not a great day at the office for him. All right, overall, overall, let's try to wrap up the spring game here. Did you leave more bullish, less bullish? That's not the right word. Uh, more up, more down, same on the Gators for 2023. If we're just going to talk about, we're going to leave recruiting out for right now. That's right. an important piece we'll talk about. If we're talking about on the field, obviously I'm very down. I came into the game very down on what we're going to be like, right? I've got us at six wins plus or minus one, probably on either side. So five, six, or seven. We have lots of issues I'm aware of um, for this one year. Again, this one year, keep in mind, we're focusing on this year ahead. I came away feeling the same I felt about the offense. I've had questions about it from the beginning. Not every podcaster or Florida analyst does. Of course, we've talked about those last year, but I have had them. I will continue to have them. However, I maybe I'm just falling in love with, with again, Coach Ham too early, but he's he's rootable. He gave, he gave me something to watch. I was watching him on the sideline. We mm-hmm. were on that side, Alan, but it was like, man, this is great. I'm just watching this guy run around, smack everyone on the helmet, go nuts. Like, get, just I was like, this is fun. I'm enjoying this. So I found myself with like a bright spot of like, hey, this guy is fun to watch. And on film, this defense is doing stuff I love. It'd be nice to have something I really enjoy watching because last year, the defense and the offense were both frustrating. Offense did some really nice stuff at times, right? Uh, but I love the passing game. The running game for me is secondary. They did great stuff in the pa- in the running game normally. And the defense was just so frustrating. That, hey, you know what? If I get the same offense we had last year from Florida, which is what Billy wants to be, but I get a fun defense maybe, even if they're not perfect, that's probably an upgrade over where my expectations were. So I'm going to, that's kind of where I'm at with that. So probably nothing that moves the win needle above my plus or minus one game versus six, but perhaps a silver lining that, hey, maybe I'm going to enjoy watching this unit, try to learn and grow and become a good unit in the SEC as they improve um, into this year. I think I'm with you on that. I, I'm definitely, if I had to say one or the other, and I couldn't say the same, I would say I'm more bullish on the Gators, like of their prospects for this one particular season, as you said. That defensively, at least you got to peek at the potential upside and that they could be a unit that makes waves and does things and actually wins you games. Uh, I, yeah, I don't want to like land on that heavily by any means, as we said, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe it moves the needle a little bit, maybe half game, something like that. So that's, that's pretty fun from a spring game. If you can get that kind of boost and maybe it takes some pressure off some of the narratives around Florida that things are kind of rough right now. Okay. A little segment here while we were away, aka stuff that happened since the last time we podcast. 
we do have the special talent of saying things on the podcast. Like we haven't hired a wide receivers coach and then that news breaking within 24 hours. So a familiar face, Billy Gonzalez rehired by the Florida Gators about a month ago, I guess. Uh, thoughts there. Happy, sad. Yeah. Eh. Old news for everyone, including us, but we wanted to at least put our thoughts formally out there into the sphere. I think contextualizing it, it felt like to me, Alan, it was the best available hire at the time. So you're in a weird part of the cycle where you're sort of going to count on an NFL guy at that stage. And I think that's who Florida was looking at because Mm -hmm. the college guys are pretty much all sewed up by then. You need an NFL guy. So if you find an NFL guy you like, that you mesh well with. Right, because this came at the end of the NFL season. Correct, Uh uh-huh. Then you probably take that guy. And again, I think Florida interviewed several NFL guys. They chose Billy Gonzalez. Now here's what's interesting is, is Napier chose not to retain Billy Gonzalez originally. Billy goes down south, coaches there for FAU. Now he comes back. Billy's had some noted problems with staffs before, right? There's issues that are already out there. There's question marks with Billy. But I think if you line all the dominoes up, in Billy, you get a guy who knows the Florida program in and out. He's been with Florida during some extremely successful periods of time. This is his now third stint. Third stint. He knows he knows exactly what he's getting and what he's doing. And he chose to accept the role knowing that Napier didn't retain him in the first place. So there's some level of humility there to do that, right? And I think he's a very good wide receivers coach. You saw right away several of his former players immediately were like, this guy's a great teacher of the position. And those guys are in the NFL, right? And they noted that great teacher taught me a lot, learned a lot. Weaknesses tend to be recruiting for him. That tends to be a major issue for him is the recruiting side. We've talked about this before, Alan. Most of the time, recruiting comes from your head coach. That's just the reality, right? Like, that's just the way it is. There's excellent position recruiters, but if you look at Kirby Smart at Georgia, is Kirby Smart the reason why, or some position coach who goes somewhere else the reason why? Or is Georgia the reason why? Because they get a lot of players in their state, right? There's a lot of factors there. So I think late in the cycle, NFL guy who maybe didn't have significant college experience coming onto your staff, do they want to go back to the NFL? Here's Billy Gonzalez, a lifelong college football coach. He's dropped down a level, probably wants to get back up a level been here before, knows what to get, plug and play, good teacher of receivers. You got a lot of young guys you need to develop. And you may think if you're Billy, hey, I can pull the guys in I need. I'll assign myself to them and recruit them to come in my system. That might be how it fits. So I feel like it was the best available hire. Am I amped about it and hyped about it as if we got some other, whoever you could think of, high profile wide receiving guy? Probably not. But I do think it was sensible given what was available and was probably out there. It's, a, it's felt sensible even with the question marks. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that largely. Um, on one hand, it feels really underwhelming. Oh, for sure. So especially on the recruiting end, as you said, and this is a staff that is oriented around recruiting, and I don't know that Billy fits that profile. Although now that we have some talented guys in the system, maybe uh, we're going to benefit from his ability to get them up up to speed because we do <laughs> have some freshman guys that we're going to need to rely on if that's going to be – if the offense is going to be successful. So, you know, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't love it. It is kind of meh. Like he's a known quantity. So you're not getting that kind of, Oh, this guy could be great, but you're also not scratching your head. Like why, why would we think this guy could do this job? So if they surround him with a better infrastructure and better, you know, kind of operations that would allow him to recruit at a higher level, that, that might 
you know, make this a, a more of a plus hire. But this might not be the long-term answer for the Gators. Although with a position coach, is there ever a long-term answer? I think all of Gator Nation is probably like, fine. If that's the best you can do, okay. It's not terrible. It's not great. Correct. So questions remain, I think, as we say. There are questions and answers, but there are still questions. It was not a slam dunk at that position spot. And we'll see what it yields. Uh, Some news, Alan here in the cycle. So the bright side, right? During the spring game, what's been going on in the 2024 recruiting class in general is that it's trending way up. I think we currently have three. Is that correct, Alan? Three guys in the top 50. Four. A four. There we go. See, it's trending so up that I'm underestimating it. Four guys in the top 50. Four in the top 50. The last time that happened was Urban Meyer. That's how significant that is. Now we have a long way to go, as Alan always says correctly. This is the 2024 recruiting class. We're in 2023. We still have many months to go until we sign them. Let's not count our chickens before they hatch and a bunch of other stuff. But that is important, though, because we are trending into the tier one allocation. And make no mistake about it, the talent acquisition part of coaching is the most important part. You must have that in the formula. You got to have that. So any frustration that I felt in the spring game that I felt about other stuff, I felt alleviated somewhat by the fact that we are starting to seemingly build a talent pipeline back to Gainesville. And that is very encouraging for a multitude of reasons, even if you decide that Billy is not the coach for you. If he's here for three or four total years and this pipeline is built like this, he will leave Florida in a much better place than he inherited it talent-wise, and that will at least be a step forward. So that is some positive news and also positive news, Alan Ruiz. Miami's mega booster is trending down. He's got some issues with his company life wallet. (laughs) He's in the news for this. There's some quote accounting gaffes that did not allow them to file some very important documents. And, uh, you know, if if you're a doomsdayer, you're saying that he's going down, he's going to go bankrupt. And if you're more on the neutral side, the stock market seems to say he's taken a hit, but maybe not dead yet. So we'll see how that affects his copious giving and trolling of the university of Florida, but at least he is temporarily trending down. Yeah, you know, arch nemesis, enemy number one, state enemy number one, John Ruiz. Uh, yes, if you're Florida, I don't know if it's ever good to hope somebody fails, but you would like him to stop trolling Florida recruiting. So maybe this is good news for on that front. Yeah, hopefully so. And again, this is sort of tongue in cheek with John Ruiz. We don't know him. It's nothing personal, but obviously it's frustrating that we it's exist. It's personal for him with Florida. I think. Yeah, frustrating we exist in a world of NIL where someone like John Ruiz is a name we have to know because, in my opinion, we shouldn't have to know his name, but we have to. And with that, what a segue, mm. Alan, into the end of our podcast here, which is going to be a discussion about NIL. We've got a special treat on the show today, and by special treat, I mean we're going to talk about NIL, which I know for a lot of you, you're thinking, wait a minute, this podcast has largely been talking about how depressing the NIL scene has been, how it hasn't worked correctly, how it's created all sorts of dysfunctions and issues, and and for me personally, has caused me to perhaps like college football less. Well, the good news is our guest today is Nate Barbera. He is the newly named CEO of Florida Victorious, and Nate's an interesting guy, I just met Nate, but I'm looking forward to asking him some questions because he is not affiliated with Florida, not a Gator grad, went to Notre Dame, Golden Domer, got his MBA from Harvard, has done a lot of things in the business world, was featured on Shark Tank, has gone back and forth with Mark Cuban, 
works currently in private equity. So we're both finance pros in that regard. Uh, with that intro, Nate, welcome to the show. I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Well, thank you. And by the way, while I'm not affiliated with the University of Florida, I don't have a degree from the University of Florida. Uh, you can call me an adopted Gator. Uh, huge Gator fan. There you and, go. And uh, excited to do whatever I can to help the Gators. Yeah, we'll, we'll welcome you in with open arms, Nate. Welcome in. So first thank things you. first, I, I guess. Yeah, you bet. Give us Give us a little context here. Uh, so much was made of things that we don't need to talk about now with a certain player and the stuff that went down. What I'm more curious about is, is, is actually you taking this position. Why would you be interested in something like this, which most of the outside world has viewed as just a dysfunctional landscape of sort of difficulties? Why add this to your plate? Why do it? Well, the first thing I would say is, that you know, the outside world may view it as this uh, wild west or you know, crazy landscape. I would say that it's a, a landscape full of learning and opportunity uh, and full of very quick evolution. And if you think about it from a business perspective, it's a fascinating space to be in because there there is no clear answer. There is no clear leader. There's no clear winner. Uh, and everyone's trying to figure it out all at the same time. Uh, makes for a really fascinating intellectual challenge um, and uh, and a cool opportunity, uh, but but that's not really that's not why I accepted this. That's not why I did this. Uh, I did this because I've worked with a gentleman by the name of Jose Costa for the last six years. He's um, a UF alum. He is a member of the UF Foundation Executive Board uh, and a very successful business person. He's uh, he hired me to work in his family's company back in 2017. Um, and then I've, uh, did, I did a few roles there in, in M&A and then in sales and then, uh, and then stepped back out of his family's business and, uh, and went to work with him in his, uh, in his private equity firm, uh, that he started. And so he and I have had a good relationship for the last six years. And he asked me if I would help him get this started, given my background, having started a couple of entities, uh, and, and doing a lot of work in the consulting space, and really enjoying a challenge. Uh, this was this is a very interesting uh, opportunity that I, I absolutely couldn't pass up. As I did say, I, I am an adopted Gator, a big Gator fan, uh, and excited to do what I can to help the Gators win. So it's a, a combination of things, but I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jose Costa, who's a phenomenal guy and the founder and chairman of Florida Victorious. So how do you feel like this is going to be different than the previous collective experience? Like, what are your hopes for this iteration? Well, I'll tell you that the biggest difference is that we're focused on, uh, on, on something. A large part of what we do is very different than what previous and any previous iterations related to the University of Florida has, has done. And that's our, our nonprofit arm, the Florida Victorious Foundation. That's actually how we got our start back in June of 2022. Jose founded uh, an organization known as the Florida Achievement Support Trust, or FAST, uh, as a 501c3 public charity. He asked me to help get that off the ground, uh, and that's how we got started. Our goal as, as FAST and as the Florida Victorious Foundation now is to deliver life-changing impact for our student-athletes by using the name, image, and likeness as a force for good in the community. We all know that NIL is here. NIL is here to stay. It's going to happen. And so from our perspective, 
why not use NIL as a force for good? Why not use NIL as a way to positively impact our community, positively impact our student athletes uh, and make a difference in the world? It's going to happen either way. Let's let's do it in the, in the best possible way. Uh, and so from that foundation, that's where Florida Victorious was born. And so that alone is very different than previous iterations of NIL. And what I think is pretty exciting about the Florida Victorious Foundation is that we are we're not out there just kind of promoting charities through going to galas and events and things like that. We're actually sending our student athletes into those charities in the Gainesville community to to do service work, to learn firsthand the impact that their name, image, and likeness has on on impacted folks who are going through rough times uh, and make a difference in their lives in a one-on-one basis and then use those experiences to create really meaningful posts on social media that help raise awareness for the good work that these charities are doing in our community. Right now, we've got our, our student athletes under contract to have over a million followers on Twitter and Instagram alone. And so when you consider that, our, our, our student athletes can really make a big difference in terms of getting the word out uh, and making an impact on these uh, on these charities and in the in the Gainesville community. So that that alone is a, is a pretty big difference, and that's the reason we got into it. That's the exciting part for us, making a difference in our community. As we as we you know, turn the page into 2023, the NIL landscape, as you know, is constantly evolving. There's always changes, and we're, we've seen around the country other organizations unify efforts to create a some clarity for uh, for fans and for alumni of a university on how to su- best support their student athletes, and so it made sense. The time was right for us to unify and to welcome the members of the Gator Collective into the Florida Victorious community and create an additional arm, which is the arm that creates unique experiences and content for our fans who want to connect with UF student athletes and create. Uh, promotional opportunities for our partners and sponsors as well. So we 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 started with Fast, this nonprofit that's coming from from a place of wanting to make an impact in the community, and we've now opened it up to the broader fan base, expanded it to include uh, the fan experience and content. So I, I do think we're fundamentally different than NIL organizations that have come in the past, uh, and we've got we've got a phenomenal team. So I, I'm just one guy. Uh, we've got. A, a full staff ready ready and excited and passionate about making a difference in University of Florida student athletes lives uh, and so we're, we're excited to get going and uh, and excited to make this happen all right Nate let's talk about how this works uh, because I think this is where a lot of, of people have questions about what does this do right what is this collective arm going to do i think you explained very well what happens when a student athletes enrolled in your program and they're able to go to charities and they can use their name image and likeness to support the community but how does this work when it comes to winning on the field uh, which seems to be a lot of fans interest you have a high school athlete they're getting recruited take us through what perhaps happens after that like what does this look like from an unenrolled non-committed athlete at florida to a committed athlete at Florida, to the whole thing. Just take us through what this does, what this is. Well, so I can't talk about any of the stuff prior to a, uh, to a student athlete enrolling at the university because we don't get involved in that at all, full stop. Uh, we work with current University of Florida student athletes 
to provide them with exciting, compelling NIL opportunities, including the fan experiences as well as the um, the community work and promotion and charity promotion. So when a student athlete enrolls at the University of Florida as a current student athlete, uh, we would then potentially consider them for an NIL opportunity uh, as we as we have the opportunity to do so. Our goal is to provide opportunities to every single UF student athlete on camp on campus across sports. For us to be able to do that, we need the support of the entire Gator Nation to rally behind Florida Victorious and support all these you know phenomenal student athletes with additional funding, whether it's through the nonprofit arm or through the the uh, the subscription membership arm. That that is the way that we expand this from our current roster. Uh, to all UF student athletes and, and make an impact. By the way, our, you know, our goal is to do it right and to do it in a way that is competitive. And, and look, we do know generally what it takes to be competitive. We've, there's market research information out there and we, we need to be competitive. We need to be up there with the best in order to give our student athletes at the University of Florida the best possible opportunities. So, so is the goal is the goal here then student athlete gets enrolled for Florida to look competitive on a national landscape, you want to have as big of a fund as possible. So the coaches can say, here's what Florida Victorious does. We have a $10 million kitty every single year that we have available to spend on NIL-related stuff that puts you in the community in front of businesses, et cetera. And Georgia has $3 million. And you know, Texas has $2 million. And whatever the case may be. Is the goal to build sort of this war chest to recruit athletes uh, that are able to basically, and I know, again, this stuff's not happening, but you know, coaches are going to use the NIL as something where Florida's at the forefront of this. Is that sort of the goal? Get every athlete involved, get everyone contributing, get all of Gator Nation you know, giving five bucks a month, and then you've got millions of dollars where it's very attractive for potential student athletes to say, if I enroll at Florida, I have access to these resources, and if my name, image, and likeness means something to people, I have access to a top-notch team. Is that sort of part of the, the connection there? Our goal is to give the current student athletes the absolute best experience that they can possibly have. Uh, and yes, we want to be competitive with all of the, you know, all of the other collectives around the country. We need to be NIL is, is a, is a vital and critical part of the collegiate athletics landscape, but it is not the only piece of the collegiate athletics landscape. You know, there are other factors that are also very important it's our job to be at the top of our game and to provide the most competitive opportunities that we can for current UF student athletes so that, uh, so that it is exciting for them and so that they are excited to, to stay at the university of Florida, to compete for national championships and to put the, and to help pull together the best teams that we can possibly have and bring championships uh, where they belong back to the swamp. So kind of a buzzword in college athletics, over the last, I don't know, five, six years has been the word alignment. Um, even Billy Napier talked about this as he was looking at schools that have alignment. And I know introducing kind of the NIL space is another opportunity for misalignment. And so if you guys have, if you guys have thought about how you're going to operate, um, just how this works in conjunction with like all the various facets of the university about there being, I'll just go ahead and use the word again, alignment. Yeah, you know, we are an independent entity. 
we're not connected with the University of Florida, but we do clearly have the support of the University of Florida. We are the proud, we are a proud NIL partner of the University of Florida, uh, or proud NIL partner of the Florida Gators. Let me make sure I get that right. There you go. Um, and uh, and yes, we have we have very strong alignment uh, because you know at the end of the day, the, the UAA's motto is to deliver a championship experience with integrity. And from the outset, Jose Costa and I have have felt that we align very well with that with that model. We want to build the best possible experience for current UF student athletes and do it in in a way that will make all of Gator Nation proud. So yes, we're we're very much aligned with delivering an experience that's on par with the other elements of the University of Florida athletic experience and academic experience. And and I will say that we do meet regularly with the UF compliance team to ensure that we're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's, making sure that we're doing everything the right way so that, again, everyone uh, related to this organization is proud of the work that we're doing and proud to support Florida's victorious. All right. this We've we've talked about this being a messy space. You've kind of described it, I think, in better words. It's like uh, ripe for opportunity and growth. Uh, As you guys think about moving forward, is there a place that – I know you feel like there needs to be reform in college athletics that um, that you're kind of pushing towards or, or want to see college football push towards. And if you can name any of that. You know, I'm, I'm not a politician at the end of the day. We'll let politicians do politics. Uh, What I'm focused on is making sure that we do the best with what we've got. We've got a team that, uh, is strong, is nimble, and is flexible. That can learn quickly and change on a dime as needed. Uh, we need to stay on top of everything that happens so that we can remain competitive. Um, and I will tell you that from from my perspective, where where we stand today, one of the other benefits of creating an organization that has a nonprofit arm, a fan experience arm, and corporate uh, partnerships is that we are a multifaceted organization and our goal is, and that will help us be more sustainable over time. We can't predict where the space is going to go. Frankly, if I had a crystal ball, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. I'd probably be doing something else. Uh, But as a result, you know, we are going to do everything we can to, you know, to align with what, where we need to go in the future and react as effectively as possible to, you know, to future changes. All right, Nate. Give me the pitch here. Compel me for as to why I should support Florida Victorious. Get me excited about why I should financially contribute or volunteer my time or whatever the case may be. Uh, push me into that zone. What What is the persuasive argument there? Gator Nation wants to win on and off the field. And that's what Florida Victorious is all about. We're going to do it right. We're going to do it in a way that makes all of Gator Nation proud. In order to win, in order to field championship teams on and off the field, we need all of Gator Nation to rally behind us and support it. By rallying behind Florida Victorious on the nonprofit side, you are supporting the Gainesville community and supporting the charities that are doing incredible work in our community. By supporting the fan experience side, you're getting access to unique experiences and content. Uh, you're getting access to events such as the 
annual event with the head ball coach as part of the 96 club, which is that direct tribute to the 96 championship team. Uh, and in a polo shirt with the logo designed by Batesy, James Bates. Uh, these are the types of experiences, merch and, uh, and, and access that we're trying to, that we are creating through Florida victorious. The moral of the story is if, if you're a Gator fan, we've got something that fits you. If you're excited about the merch, if you're excited about the one-on-one experiences, if you're excited about the events, if you're excited about the charity work, there is a level from our subscriptions from 15 to $250 a month. And in our nonprofit side, uh, that will fit you. Uh, but it takes every single member of Gator Nation to rally behind us in order to make this possible, in order to maximize the impact that we can have, and in order to bring home championships back to Gator Nation. All right. One last question, Nate. I'm someone who loves college football and I love pro sports. What does this look like in the pro landscape? I'm a fan of the Dolphins. Let's take the Miami Dolphins. What happens with them? Their players are signed. They have contracts. Are there NAL-like things for them? Are there similar situations that occur here where you have a Florida victorious for the Dolphins that organizes all the events and does all these things that people contribute to? Does something like that exist in the pro world? You know, I I don't think it does. Uh, It may. I actually don't know. Uh, it's something I thought a little bit about, but the reality is I'm focused on the Gators. I'm focused on making UF uh, student athletes as successful as they can possibly be on and off the field. That's my 100% focus. And, you know, I'm confident that with the team we have in place, we can win. Uh, that That's where I am, you know, full focus on FloridaVictorious.com getting this up and running, getting Gator Nation to rally behind us and and helping bring home championships to the Gators. Okay, well, I think that's the end of our time here. Thanks for taking some time for us, Dave. I really appreciate you kind of leaning in and discussing a little bit about what's going on with Florida Victorious. And yeah, thanks for being on the show. Happy to do it. Thank you. All right, Alan, that brings us to the end of the show. Any other items or thoughts on your mind? Not really. I mean, I think we're we're headed into the time of year where you know, left your own thoughts, Gator Nation, try not to go to a dark place, have a little bit of hope. I think we'll be back with a May mailbag sometime in May. We'll let you know about that. So you can start loading up the questions in your head, ready to fire them off when we ask for them. And that, that is always really fun. We love to like kind of engage on all those kind of fun outside the box questions with you guys. Yeah. Looking forward to that. And as always, your kind of Florida basketball minute, Florida has been pulling in an excellent transfer class, signed another one today, uh, to go with Riley Kugel. So Florida's basketball hopes, Joe Lenardi and others already have us in the tournament next year and trending higher. So I think we had talked about, man, we could be in serious trouble if we don't acquire some better talent while problems aren't solved. We'll give Golden credit where credit is due. He has upgraded the roster from where it was from when he inherited it and from where it was last year. And that's what you want to see. This next roster is a step up. And if Florida makes a tournament next year, he'd be trending in the right direction. And so, he still has like five more spots to fill. So Still has plenty. So that's good, though. I mean, again, yeah. talent acquisition is key. It's a weird world we live in. But so far, basketball trending up in the offseason. All right, that's all we got. Hopefully you enjoyed that. We certainly enjoyed being here with you again. And we will see you in May.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.